Supply chains prepare for hurricane season. A key employer changes hiring criteria in a tight labor market. And strong growth persists within logistics. Pull up a chair and join us as the editors of DC Velocity discuss these stories, as well as news and supply chain trends on this week's Logistics Matters podcast. Hi, I'm Dave Maloney. I'm the editorial director at DC Velocity. Welcome. Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. From system design and emulation to integrated warehouse automation software and technologies to ASRS shuttles and robotics, Honeywell Intelligrated's end-to-end solutions address the most pressing e-commerce and labor challenges facing our industry. To learn more, visit sps.honeywell.com. As usual, our DC Velocity senior editors, Ben Ames and Victoria Kickham, will be along to provide their insight into the top stories of this week. But to begin today, hurricane season is just around the corner, bringing the potential for disruptions in supply chains that have already been battered by the pandemic, surges in e-commerce, and tight capacities within transportation lanes. Can things get any worse? And how do we prepare for the next round of events that nature may throw at us? To address those questions, we welcome today's guest, Mark Stanton. Mark is the General Manager for PowerFleet for Supply Chain. Welcome, Mark. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Dave. To begin today, can you share just a bit about PowerFleet and the role that you have within the company? Yeah, I'll keep it brief. So um, PowerFleet has been around for about 25 or a little over 25 years. And and broadly speaking, we provide telemetry solutions for um, transportation, warehousing, distribution uh, organizations, as well as rental cars and uh, other mobile assets, uh, both domestically here in North America, as well as uh, throughout Europe and uh, parts of uh, South America. Thank you. And as we mentioned, hurricane season is about to begin. So how bad of a season should we expect on top of all the other disruptions that we face this year? <laughs> that, that, if, I, if I had a crystal ball, I'd be able to tell you. But I think um, if you read the news, like most of us do, uh, most of the uh, forecasts are suggesting it's going to be you know, a pretty bad, if not worse, than normal season. So um, hopefully they're wrong, but it, it doesn't look terribly promising, that's for sure. So what can companies do now to prepare their supply chains? Well, I think, you know, I think many, if not most companies are already you know, and have done uh, for years to prepare their supply chains. You know, the larger organizations such as you know, Home Depot and Lowe's and Walmarts and Targets and others of the world, um, you know, food and grocery retailers, et cetera. You know, they have teams of people looking at this, not just this year, not just now, but you know, planning for you know, years in, in, in the past. Um, you know, I think there's various things that we can all do. Uh, they, they be in organizations, but I think the government, you know, FEMA and others can do, um, can do things maybe a little differently. And I think the one area that I'd maybe like to explore a little bit is you know, the collaboration of those organizations. I mean, I think they all do a, you know, a good job for themselves. Um, and I don't mean to suggest that they're not helpful to others, but maybe there's an area that where those organizations and others could collaborate more, maybe under the guise of FEMA or somebody like that, to see if there's a, a greater level of capability um, as, a, as a combined effort rather than a number of you know, distinct or, or separate efforts. Is there ways that technology can help them in doing some of this collaboration? I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, you know, many, if not all, of the transportation companies, you know, and you know, those those in, uh, organizations, whether they're private fleet or third party, 
know, that, that move product, you know, either from um, areas that might be under a uh, hurricane watch and then, you know, respond to the hurricane once it's hit and, the, you know, the recovery uh, needs thereafter. Um, you know, they have technology, you know, in-house, but how much of that information um, is shared between them and, and others? You know, they could be competitors, of course, right? But under certain circumstances, maybe sharing that information, sharing even the resources as much of that information could enable a much more effective recovery from and um, you know, flexibility to that recovery rather than each, each organization responding as, you know, as, as I say, as separate individual you know, elements to that response. So key technologies that we're talking about in this kind of collaboration would be visibility tools and uh, telematics and that sort of thing. What roles can those tools play in, in helping people better understand their supply chains and doing this kind of preparation? I, I think you nailed it. I think the, the, the two areas are really, as you say, visibility. You know, where, where are my things, whatever they are, right? People is obviously vitally important, um, but also my assets, whether that's the tractors, the trailers, and you know, equally importantly, the product that are on those uh, tractors and trailers. You know, where are they at the moment? How can I best disperse them if, you know, away from you know, the, the troubled area or areas? And then if I can if I can manage that and have that visibility, not just to myself, but maybe visibility of other people's resources. If I have that visibility on, on the you know, preparedness side, can that enable me and the organizations to be you know, more um, flexible and capable of, of the recovery? If I know where my, my thing or things are, then I should be able to do more with them than um, you know, losing them and being blind to, uh, to how I respond, right? And as I said, if we can collaborate, then maybe there's a much better, more effective way of responding to you know, a disaster like hurricanes, et cetera. Sure, and, and a lot of people do some preparation work by running what-if scenarios and simulation models. Is there a role for some of that in, in the preparation that people should be doing for hurricane season? I think simulation is a really interesting uh, item, actually. I mean, you know, we, this isn't the first year that we've gone through this in North America, and you know, other parts of the world go through you know, similar uh, weather you know, systems on a, on a regular basis. So, you know, I think one of the things we, we as an industry and you know, technology provider to industries like transportation warehousing can and should do is, is simulation. You know, what did we do well? What did we not do so well? You know, last year, the year before, five, ten, fifteen years ago. Um, and and learn from I won't unnecessarily call them mistakes, but learn from areas that we where we could improve. And I think telemetry is one example where the data that we can collect. And when I say we, I don't mean PowerFleet, but we, you know, the organisations that use our our telemetry or others, the data that, that they collect could be put into you know artificial intelligence, machine learning, all the other sort of you know acronyms that we're we're now used to, and really start predicting not just where the hurricane's going to hit, but how do we respond more effectively to that, that weather system? And I think simulation can have a, a large part to play in that future response. Yeah, I agree. And what we're talking about isn't just for hurricane season, but it also helps people to prepare for other types of natural disasters. Uh, it could be wildfires, tornadoes, earthquakes, as, as well as man-made disruptions as, as, with uh, the things that could occur within supply chains and shortages. Is that correct? Oh, I, I completely agree. I think your point about earthquakes is a very good example. Again, you know, you know on the West Coast, you know, particularly, but uh, you know, man-made disasters, etc. I think uh, 
you know, we, we collect as a, as, a, you know, as a race, as a humanity, we collect a huge amount of data, whether it's your cell phone or industrial kind of telemetry, um, collecting data on, as I say, where people, things, whatever they might be, are, you know, whether it's the temperature of that product and, and, the, and the shipment, etc. You know, if we can do, I think there, there are many things that we can do with that information that we're not doing today. Um, and with the, the improvements in, as I say, artificial intelligence, machine learning, et cetera, I think it opens up or could open up some very significant opportunities for us to, to be better, um, as, you, as you said before, in the you know, preparing for you know, that event, whatever that event is, but also uh, equally importantly is the recovery from that event. So if we can reduce you know, the impact of that event and respond to that recovery more effectively, then we're all better for it, I think, as right. a nation. And, and we know these kinds of disasters are going to happen. We just don't know where or when they're going to occur. But how can this kind of technology help after an event to get supply chains moving again? Uh, well, as I touched on earlier on, I mean, if, if, you know, if you know where your assets are before the event occurs, whatever that event might be, and you can move them you know, out of harm's way, um, but keep them close enough that they can you know, be made available you know, speedily, whatever that might be, whether it's hours or days later, um, is one example. Um, but it, again, if you know where you've moved them, whether it's in you know, to different parts of the, of the state or you know, to different states but are nearby, you know who's where, you know what's, what availability you have, the asset types. I think you know, every tractor and every trailer is not made the same, right? I mean, there's reefers, as, as you well know, there's flatbeds, there's all different types of, of assets that can be utilized you know, differently depending on, on the recovery that's required. Um, and I think just knowing where those things are, who has them, are they available, you know, how far away are they from, you know, from the recovery zone, for want of a better term, all of that information can, as I said before, I think really enable a much more effective recovery from you know, that, that event. I mean, it saves lives, it, it can help improve the recovery with regard to buildings and, and infrastructure and all the things that get damaged. Um, and I think we, as I say, I think we can do more as a nation to, to be more collaborative in those events. Well, our hope, of course, is that it is not a disastrous season this year for hurricanes, but it's good to be prepared for them. Yes. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I mean, you know, there's an old saying in the, in the army in, in England where I'm from, and I'm sure the U.S. and others, you know, <clears throat> planning prevents, I won't give you the, the, uh, the, acronym necessarily, but you know, plan, planning prevents poor performance, right? The more you can plan, the more you can be prepared, and the better you can respond. And I think that's really what we're all about here. We've been talking to Mark Stanton, the General Manager for Powerfleet for Supply Chain. Thanks, Mark, for being with us today. You're welcome, Dave. Appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Now let's take a look at some of the other supply chain news from the week. And Ben, you reported on Amazon's decisions to change their hiring criteria for distribution workers during a tight labor market. What did they do? Uh, that's right, Dave. Yeah, it's, it's been a, an interesting week uh, for labor. It is uh, it, it, Labor was definitely one of those topics that we covered in the magazine an awful lot before the pandemic ever showed up. Uh, and now it really looks like it's beginning to rise again uh, to the top of some of the concerns in the industry. Um, one of the signs of that is that Amazon, which is, of course, a leader uh, purely by size uh, and by um, its policies as well with uh, you know, operations in every state, um, that they already employ almost 900,000 people. Uh, they recently announced plans to hire another 75,000. Uh, that'll 
put them close to a million. Uh, so this week, the company said, with all those huge numbers, that it would stop testing its new hires for marijuana use. Uh, it does pre-hire drug screening, of course, and will look for other uses, uh, other drugs. But Amazon said that um, it would not look for the marijuana, and that's a result of an increasing number of U.S. states that have passed laws that legalize pot for medicinal or recreational use. Uh, and it looks like the company's just facing reality that it might actually struggle to find enough workers to hit those numbers uh, if it excluded the legal marijuana users. Uh, in addition, uh, Amazon also said uh, it would change its use of a policy that it calls time off task. Uh, that measures the amount of time that workers are logged out of the software tools uh, in their warehouse and fulfillment work. Uh, that was one of the reasons that Amazon has been gaining kind of a bad reputation about micromanaging workers and uh, making uh, really difficult, uh, unpleasant working conditions. Uh, so it's gonna loosen uh, the reins on that time off task. Um, it's a little to do with statistics, but it's, it's going to average uh, that measure over a greater period of time. Uh, so. It, Amazon said its goal was to use that statistic more to identify operational problems instead of tracking individual workers. Uh, so it, it, it's really interesting. Uh, the, uh, the company looks like it's uh, positioning itself uh, just to be able to you know, hit its numbers for those hiring targets. Hmm, that is interesting. Did the company explain exactly which kinds of jobs would be affected by those changes? Uh, they did. Yep. Um, so the, the Amazon can make some changes, um, but but the, the, of course they, they can't um, affect everything. Um, for example, marijuana is still not legal at the federal level in the U.S. So while Amazon will stop testing its workers in warehouse and fulfillment jobs, uh, it will continue to test them for marijuana for workers applying for truck driving positions. Uh, those are still regulated by uh, rules under the U.S. Department of Transportation. Uh, for example, the DOT runs uh, a drug and alcohol clearinghouse uh, that's operated by its FIMSA arm, um, and that makes it more difficult for prohibited workers who have failed past tests uh, to sort of do an end run and uh, say re-enter the workforce in a different state or something. So, having said which, um, you know, Amazon has does, does other policies that are across the board. Uh, for example, it's offering a starting average pay of over seventeen dollars an hour, uh, sign-on bonuses of up to a thousand dollars in some locations, uh, full benefits. So uh, you can see that Amazon's really kind of rolling out the carpet uh, just to try to attract uh, labor. Will be interesting to see if other companies follow Amazon's lead. So thanks, Ben. Appreciate you joining us today. Yep, we'll be following it. And Victoria, you wrote this week about the strong growth that is persisting in logistics markets. What more can you tell us? Yes, that's right. There was some interesting economic news out this week. The Logistics Managers Index Report, which is also known as the LMI, uh, for May came out on Tuesday, and it highlighted the tight market conditions we see continuing across the logistics industry this spring. Essentially, company, uh, supply chain companies are working hard to meet sustained consumer demand in the wake of the pandemic, and they're battling tight capacity and higher costs as they do so. So the LMI registered 71.3 in May, which is down slightly from April's reading, but still well above the 50-point mark indicating growth in the industry. This all stems from the sharp rebound in logistics that began last summer and really just continues unabated. For a bit of background, the LMI is a monthly gauge of economic activity in the logistics sector. Researchers from five universities poll logistics managers each month 
to sort of get a pulse on economic activity in the channel. And the resulting LMI score indicates where we are. Above 50 indicates expansion, below 50 indicates contraction. The LMI has been on a strong upswing since last June, steadily climbing from the 60s to readings in the 70s, which essentially indicates strong growth across the industry. The big story continues to be rising costs. The researchers uh, for, uh, in May pointed to continued high inventory costs, warehousing prices, and transportation prices. And this comes on top of tight capacity. Warehousing capacity declined for the ninth straight month in May, and transportation capacity continued at historic lows. Those are historic um, in terms of the LMI index, which is about five years old. So we're really looking at much of the same from over the past few months. Logistics companies are very busy, and it just keeps getting more expensive to keep up with demand. Yeah, it really seems to be that way right now. So, uh, Victoria, the report usually takes a forward look also. What did logistics managers predict for future conditions? Yes, that's right. Uh, the LMI gauges what it calls the Future Conditions Index. And logistics professionals are predicting more of the same over the next 12 months, higher prices, tight capacity. I spoke to researcher Zach Rogers, who compiles the monthly report, and he noted that this latest report tracked the highest predicted cost growth in the history of the index. All three of the indices that track pricing and costs were in the high 80s, approaching the 90 mark, which um, essentially indicates considerable growth ahead. Uh, Roger said he doesn't expect supply to catch up to demand for quite some time, so the message is that the industry should settle in and continue to battle these busy and costly conditions. Listeners can learn more um, about the LMI by checking out the story on our website, um, and they'll also find a, find a link to the, to the report there for more information. And we'll continue to track that and report the LMI numbers every month. We encourage listeners to go to dcvelocity.com for more on these and other supply chain stories. And check out the podcast notes section for some direct links on the topics that we discussed today. Thanks, Ben and Victoria, for sharing highlights of the news this week. Thank you, Dave. Always glad. My pleasure. And again, our thanks to Mark Stanton of Powerfleet for Supply Chain for being with us today. We encourage your comments on this topic and our other stories. You can email us at podcast at dcvelocity.com. We also encourage you to subscribe to Logistics Matters at your favorite podcast platform and to give us a rating. We appreciate your feedback, and it really does help people to find us. The new episodes of Logistics Matters are uploaded each Friday. And speaking of podcasts, Logistics Matters is sponsored by Honeywell Intelligrated. Be sure to check out the Honeywell Intelligrated's On The Move podcast on Apple, Spotify, or Google. All episodes of their podcast series are also posted at sps.honeywell.com slash onthemovepodcasts. You can also find Honeywell Intelligrated on LinkedIn and Twitter using the hashtag at Intelligrated. And we'll be back again next week with another edition of Logistics Matters, when we will look at how warehouse management systems are evolving to work with increased automation and robotics. So be sure to join us. Until then, please stay safe and have a great week.